0: Bible reading today will be from John chapter 18 verse 28 to chapter 19 verse 16. John 18 verse 28 to chapter 19 verse 16. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said I find no basis for a charge against him but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and Put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, You are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. This is the word of God.
1: My name is Adam. I have the privilege of serving here on the team and opening up God's word for us this morning, and you're probably a little bit tired of politics and politicians. But here it is in the story that we're looking at this morning. Jesus' interaction with Pontius Pilate, an anxious politician. Now, we're in a series of sermons at the moment where we're looking at some of Jesus' interactions, his conversations with all different kinds of people in the Gospel of John. So far, we've looked at Jesus' conversation with a confused minister, week one. A social outcast, week two. A condemned woman. Last week, we looked at Jesus' conversation with a devoted follower. And today, we're looking at Jesus' interaction with Pontius Pilate, an anxious politician. Of course, the the reason you might be a little bit tired of politics is because uh, politics and politicians are in the spotlight at the moment. Last week, we had a federal election, and since the result was announced, there have been all different kinds of reactions to it. Some uh, people have been despairing, dejected. Others have been elated and overjoyed. Some have just been a little bit apathetic, don't really care, life goes on. Now, whatever your reaction may be, whatever the case may be, as Christians, we need to think about our response to the result of the election. And we need to hear Jesus' words in this passage. Now, Jesus, of course, has just been arrested by his fellow Jews. He's been brought before Pilate, the Roman governor. They're hoping that Pilate will condemn Jesus to death. And so Pilate asks Jesus a series of questions. And in his reply to Pilate, Jesus makes an incredible claim. Jesus says something that is so timely for us. Here's what he says to Pilate in verse 36. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus is not saying that his kingdom is not active in this world, that it has nothing to do with this world, because it does. But Jesus is saying that his kingdom is different to every other kingdom in this world. It does not come by military might. And it does not come by political power. It comes through humility and self-sacrifice. It comes not through a king on a throne, but a king on a cross. And we need to remember this. This is so important for us to understand because our temptation is, perhaps more than ever, to put our hope in a politician or a political party. In fact, I read an article this week by an Australian pastor that I'd like to to share with you, or just a, a little bit of it. He writes and he says, I might be wrong, but I don't think people cared as much about politics in the past. Politicians did, of course, and hardcore activists, but most of us would scroll past the Facebook warriors, pick up our democracy sausage, and get on with life. That is changing. There is now a manic panic over who will win. The stakes are higher and the tone is nastier. If you listen to the way some people talk about it, elections have become a matter of life or death. Our leaders are cast as messiahs or devils who will either save the world or destroy it. Politics feels very religious these days. This is to be expected as our culture drifts from its Christian moorings. If God can't bring about the change or justice we long for, we will have to do it. And so we will have to take power. There is no other option, no other hope, no other way. Change must be now. Those who oppose us are no longer the honourable opposition. They are the enemy and they must be stopped. This is the attitude we saw in this election. It was desperate and it was nasty. When God becomes nothing, politics becomes everything. No wonder we are so disillusioned. When you expect our politicians to replace God and establish heaven on earth, you're bound to get a little disappointed. It's not that our leaders can't do some good, it's simply that they cannot save. This is not to say we shouldn't care about politics or leaders at all. They can and should do good. But the reality is that most of the real problems in our world and in our country won't be solved by politicians. Politicians cannot save, but God can. He sustains us in the present and He will change this world in the future. Our help and our hope is in the Lord. If we remember this, we won't go crazy over politics. We won't panic when our party loses, nor will we rejoice too greatly when they win. We will respect our leaders as God's servants, but we won't hope in them as our saviors. And so no matter what we're feeling today, no matter what our response to the result might be, we are all one in Christ Jesus. We belong to him and to his kingdom. And our hope for the future is in him. And we need to be reminded of this. Pilate needed to be reminded of this. Because what we see today in this story is a man who was worried about the future. A man who was worried that he was going to lose his job and it caused him to miss Jesus. To reject Jesus. And so we're going to learn from Pilate's example this morning and I want to look at this story just under three simple questions. Number one, who was Pilate? Number two, how did he respond to Jesus? And then number three, what can we learn from his response? So number one, who was Pilate? I can tell you that he did not work for an airline. (laughs) That's so bad. You that are laughing should be ashamed. <laughs> I have two kids now, so I officially qualify to be able to tell dad jokes. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. Now, Judea was the, the province of, of uh, the Jewish province that included Jerusalem, and it was ruled over by the Romans and by their representative, who was Pilate. Now, Pilate ruled over Judea from AD 26 to AD 36. And as governor, he had full authority in Judea. He was in charge of the army, he was responsible for construction projects, and he had final say in matters of life and death. In fact, if the Jews wanted to put someone to death, they had to ask Pilate for his permission. This is why the religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate. He was a man with authority. But he was also a man under authority. He answered to Tiberius, the Roman emperor at this time. And he had to do three things to keep Tiberius happy. Three things to do his job. Number one, keep the Jews under control. Keep them under the thumb. Number two, collect their taxes, get their money. And then number three, keep the peace with the Jews. Don't antagonise them, keep them happy. Those three things, that's it, that's what he had to do. Now, fortunately for the Jews, the Romans and for Pilate, he wasn't very good at his job. The historian Josephus tells us, actually, that the first thing that Pilate did, first thing when he came into power, was that he marched through Jerusalem in this huge parade with large banners bearing the image of Tiberius, the Roman Emperor. And he then had these banners hung everywhere around Jerusalem, including at the temple, the place of worship for the Jews. Now, to put the image of anyone, let alone a pagan emperor, in the temple was blasphemy for the Jews. It enraged them. Another time, he took money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct, a a public project basically taking money from the tithes and the offerings of the Jews. They were enraged again. And what Pilate did in response was he sent soldiers out in disguise among the Jews who were worked up and many, many Jews were killed. They hated him. In fact, Philo was a Jewish philosopher who lived during Pilate's reign and he describes him this way. By nature, rigid and stubbornly harsh of spiteful disposition and an exceedingly wrathful man. He speaks of the bribes, the acts of pride, the acts of violence, the outrages, the cases of spiteful treatment, the constant murders without trial, the ceaseless and most grievous brutality towards the Jews. Now, all of this to say that at the time of Jesus' arrest and trial, Pilate was on thin ice as a governor. He was a man under pressure. The Jews hated him because of his brutality and cruelty, and Rome was annoyed with him because he wasn't doing his job. His political career could not handle another riot. And this is why the arrest and the trial of Jesus is a significant problem for Pilate, because it is a potential riot. Here we are, and it is the time of the Passover. Now, the Passover was a Jewish festival celebrating the Exodus, the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. It was a massive deal for the Jews. Everybody was in town, the VIPs, the high-ranking religious leaders, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims, including Jesus and his disciples. The city, Jerusalem, was a melting pot of tension. It just needed a spark to light it all up. And the trial of Jesus could very well be that spark. So when Jesus is brought before Pilate, he's in a sticky situation. He cannot afford another run-in with the Jews. He cannot afford another riot, and the Jews know it. The religious leaders know it. This is why they say to Pilate in verse 12 of chapter 19, if you let this man go... You are no friend of Caesar, the emperor. Anyone who claims to be a king, this is what they're charging Jesus with, claiming to be a king. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. This is blackmail. They're saying, Pilate, Jesus is going to lead an uprising against Rome. And if you let him go, he is going to cause trouble. It will be on you. And you know what the emperor would think of that. So what is Pilate going to do? How's he going to respond to Jesus? This is the second question. And what we see is that initially, Pilate asks Jesus a series of questions. He asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Where where do you come from? And all of this questioning, all of this interrogating, leads Pilate to conclude that Jesus is innocent. Three times he says to Jesus' accusers, I find no basis for a charge against him. He's innocent. Now, as an aside, this is why Pilate is so amazed at the silence of Jesus. If you read through the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find that Jesus makes almost no reply to the charges that he is being leveled with. In fact, Matthew's account tells us that Pilate said to Jesus, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. I mean, this is amazing. If you had been charged and you had a death sentence hanging over your head and you knew that you were innocent, I don't know about you, but I would be defending myself. I would be speaking up loudly. not Jesus. In the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who wrote hundreds of years before Jesus, but wrote about Jesus, said he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Now we might look at that and we might think, isn't that weakness? Why is Jesus being so meek? And the answer is, he's being silent. Even though he's innocent, because he's bearing our guilt. This is why he came. He came to be tried, condemned and crucified, to go to the cross, to die the death that we deserve to die. For our sin so that we can have the forgiveness that we have not earned. And so in the face of his accusers, the innocent one makes no defense. He's silent, and it amazes Pilate. Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. And not only that, Pilate knows why the religious leaders have brought them to him. And it's not because they're worried about Caesar. It's not because they're worried about Rome. It's because they're worried about themselves. Matthew, again, tells us that Pilate knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. These religious leaders wanted Jesus gone because they're jealous of him. They're threatened by him. They don't want to lose power to him. They make up some story, but Pilate sees right through them. And not only that, Pilate was even warned about condemning Jesus by his wife, Matthew's account again tells us that his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now Pilate makes a lot of poor decisions in this story, but not listening to the advice of his wife is right near the top of the pile. Man, that's a free lesson for you. So after all this, what does Pilate do? He knows Jesus is innocent. He knows the malicious motivation of his accusers. He's even been warned by his wife. What is he going to do? How is he going to respond to Jesus? Well, he does a few things to try and to set Jesus free. He offers to set free either Barabbas, a notorious criminal, or Jesus. But the crowd, pressured by the religious leaders, choose for Barabbas to be released instead. He has Jesus flogged, maybe to try and elicit some sympathy from the crowd. Maybe they'll think, okay, he's been punished enough, he can go. He even gets so exasperated by this situation, he says to the Jews, well, we'll just go and crucify him yourself. Here, you have my permission, do it. But the religious leaders know how popular Jesus is with the people and how unpopular it will make them if they are the ones to crucify him. And so it isn't until they bring up Caesar, the emperor, his boss. It isn't until they threaten his job that Pilate finally gives in. Hands Jesus over to be crucified. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew these were trumped up charges. He'd been warned by his wife and yet still, he condemns Jesus to death. Why? The simple truth is, Pilate wanted to save his own skin. Pilate wanted to save his job. He condemns Jesus to death for the same reason that the religious leaders want him dead. Self-interest. Pilate wanted to release Jesus but not if it was going to cost him personally. He wanted to let him go, but he didn't want to take a personal stand. He admired Jesus in a way, he was amazed at Jesus, but not enough to make a personal sacrifice. And so rather than stand up and do what he knows is right, Pilate washes his hands of the entire situation. In fact, he does this quite literally. Again, Matthew tells us, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, and this is not what he wants, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Now, by this symbolic act, Pilate is meaning to declare his innocence. But there's just one problem. He's guilty. And not all the water in the world could wash away his guilt. He is guilty of condemning a man he knows to be innocent to save his own job. Pilate's hands are not clean, they're covered in innocent blood. And his response to Jesus is cowardly and self-centered. He isn't courageous enough to do what he knows is right. Which leads us to the final question, what can we learn from his response. The truth is there are still people today who refuse to follow Jesus because of what it will cost them. And it will cost many things like we talked about last week, maybe a job, maybe a relationship, maybe money, time, comfort, security, whatever. It's not that these people are against Jesus. Pilate wasn't against Jesus. If anything, he admired him. But when it came down to the choice between Jesus and his job, he chose his job. Some of us might say, well, yeah, I'm not against Jesus. I believe in him. I would say that I'm a Christian. But I'm not going to give this up for Jesus. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stop doing that. Maybe you're thinking, I'll get serious about Jesus later in life. You know, I don't mind coming to church occasionally when it suits me. I don't mind kind of trying to be a good person when it suits me. But to become a full-on, wholehearted follower of Jesus, I'll leave that for a bit later in life. I've got things I want to do. I've got things, places I want to go. Listen, it's okay to explore, to ask questions and to doubt, but at some point you have to get decisive. Jesus once said, whoever is not with me is against me. This means if you have not decisively decided for Jesus, you are actually against him. There's no fence sitting with Jesus. There's no middle ground. We must either be for Jesus or against him. And if we're not for him, we're against him. And if we are for him, we are to be for him, no matter the cost. It reminds me of a the well-known story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, of course, was a 16th century German monk and he became disillusioned with the teaching of the Catholic Church and so he wrote a document called the 95 Theses. These were questions and points of disagreement with the doctrine of the Church. Now this document spread like wildfire and it made Luther a target for the Church. He was condemned as a heretic in 1520. And then in 1521 he was summoned to appear before the Diet of Worms. Not a diet of eating only worms, but but a, a special meeting of church leaders in the German city of Worms. Now Luther thought that at this meeting he would be given the opportunity to engage and to defend his teachings and his writings. But he walks in before this council at this meeting and he sees that his books are piled up on a table in front of him. And they say to him, They say, Are these your writings? And he says, yes. And they say, will you recant of them? Will you reject them? Will you reject everything you've taught about the Bible, about Jesus, and about salvation? Now Luther is caught totally off guard, and so he mumbles to them, well, can I have 24 hours to think about it? And he goes back to his cell, and he writes one of the most moving prayers that I've ever read. You can look it up and read it. He is totally frightened. He knows that this is going to cost him, in all likelihood, his livelihood, maybe even his life. He feels like God has abandoned him, God has left him. So the next morning he, he walks in to the council and he stands before his books and they say, Will you recant? And Luther very famously says, I cannot recant unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason My conscience is held captive by the word of God, and to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. And in that moment, there was an instant uproar and there was an immediate threat on Luther's life. He was smuggled out of the city, and God used him to reform the church and to change the world. Now, We're probably not going to be required to stand before a council of powerful people like Luther did. But we will be required to stand with and for Jesus in little moments and decisions and conversations every single day. Before friends and family and and neighbours and colleagues. And sometimes standing with Jesus will come at great personal cost. It will mean losing something we value. And are you willing to follow Jesus, whatever the cost? Are you willing to set aside your self-interest and to follow Jesus into a life of self-sacrifice? What's holding you back? What do you need to, to let go of? What do you need to surrender to Jesus? Is it a relationship? Is it a grudge? Is it the need for control? Is it your finances? Is it an addiction? There's no fence sitting with Jesus. But we can freely give it all to him because he has given it all for us. And here's the invitation that he gives to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. With Jesus is the place of true rest, true security, true satisfaction. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to leave, like last week, some space for you to pray. And maybe some of us just need to say to God this morning, this is what's holding me back from following Jesus. And we just need to lay it before him. Maybe some of us this morning need to get off the fence. Maybe we need to to say to God in these next few moments, I believe that Jesus has paid for my sin upon the cross. I believe that that he gave it all for me, and so I'm going to give my all to him. You don't have to, to give your all to earn your way in. There's nothing you can do to earn your way in. Jesus has done it all, and now you can freely follow him, whatever the cost And so let's spend these next few moments in a time of prayer, being open and honest before our great God who has done everything for us to know him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus has paid it all. All to him we owe. And so Lord, we want to walk from here this morning. We want to lay down those things that are holding us back and we want to follow you into true life. We want to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. We don't want anything to hold us back from the life that you are calling us to, Jesus. And so we now just spend a few moments to lay these things before you, to be open and honest before you, our gracious God, Thank you, Lord, that you are full of grace and truth. Thank you for your great love, which covers our failures and empowers our obedience. So, Lord, help us as we go from this place to follow you, Jesus, into life that is truly life, no matter the cost. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, come back next week as we explore Jesus' conversation with a doubtful disciple. If you've ever had doubts, wrestled with doubt, we'd love to have you here as we talk about that next week. But why don't you now stand as you hear these words from God's Word to you. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence, without fault, and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen.
0: To begin, Your love made a way to so let
1: mercy come in. When death was
0: arrested, my life began.